Hi, I'm Vashi Kapellos, and welcome to the West Block podcast for Sunday, December 3rd. On the show this week, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is in China. Will he announce formal free trade talks when he's there? And is a deal even possible considering China's human rights track record? We'll ask one of the ministers on the trip with Trudeau. Then, the opposition is calling for Finance Minister Bill Morneau to resign as more questions swirl around his personal finances. But the Liberals are fighting back. We'll go through the latest with three MPs. Plus, as tensions mount between North Korea and the U.S., Ottawa announces it will host an international summit to find a diplomatic solution. What does that look like? We'll ask the government. But first... The Prime Minister is spending the week in China, where the question of whether he'll announce formal free trade talks looms large. But the trip comes on the heels of the U.S. and European Union launching formal complaints about Chinese trade practices. So why is Canada seemingly swimming in the other direction? Late last week, I put that to Innovation Minister Navdeep Baines before he left for China. Okay, thanks very much for joining us, Minister Baines. It's great to have you on the show. Well, thanks very much for having me on. I wanted to ask, uh, you and the Prime Minister will be in China. When you're there, will you be pursuing or announcing free trade talks with that country? So we have many objectives. We want to pursue stronger relationships with China. And definitely one area that we will be exploring is the area with regards to enhanced trade opportunities between Canada and China. So does that mean that there will be a formal launch of free trade talks aimed at pursuing a a deal, a free trade deal between our two countries? So as you know, uh, we've been very focused on growth and jobs and diversifying our markets and looking at areas where we can genuinely help Canadian companies succeed and grow. And China presents a lot of opportunities, so that'll be definitely discussed on our trip. I understand that. And, and I, just, I guess with respect, though, that doesn't answer the specific question about whether uh, a deal will be announced or is, there, you know, are, is your government pursuing an actual bilateral deal? I understand there are opportunities, yes. and, and you and the Prime Minister have spoken at length about those. But... Uh, will there be sort of will those manifest in a formal capacity? That's the objective. We want to move forward in a meaningful way to advance trade discussions between Canada and China, and that'll be top priority, one of the top priorities for us on the trip. So you will be pursuing a free trade deal with China. Well, again, as I mentioned, when we get there, we'll have these conversations. We'll be able to demonstrate to Canadians that China is such an important market. Uh, it has an economy now that's the second largest in the world close to $11 trillion in the next 10 to 15 years. It'll be the largest economy globally. We want to make sure that Canada is well positioned to take advantage of the economic opportunities. And the way we do that is to enhance trade opportunities, and that'll be discussed there extensively. And I want to ask specifically about those advantages and those details in a bit, but I do want to be clear for our viewers because your government has kind of danced around whether or not there (laughs) will be formal talks. So you know, is this going to happen in a formal way? Will there be a launch of a free trade deal? So this is what we're going to determine when we land there. Uh, we want to so make sure... So it hasn't sure, been determined yet. Yeah, we want to make sure that we're very thoughtful about this, that we do our due diligence. But make no mistake, this is really about strengthening the relationship between Canada and China. And China is growing at 6.5%. It's going to it's, it's gonna be the largest economy in the next 10 to 15 years. And we want to make sure... Canada, which is the fastest growing G7 country, is able to maintain that momentum by taking taking advantage of the opportunities, trade opportunities with China. I know your government also consulted with Canadians about their feelings on pursuing uh, expanded opportunities with China, and they were kind of split. Uh, There are some concerns raised uh, as a result of those those consultations, and specifically I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, there is the case of a a winery owner who's over there uh, from BC who's been detained for 20 months. 
Um, what do you say to Canadian business owners who are concerned about the circumstances they'll face doing business in China? What assurances can you provide them? Well, this is what we want to pursue. We want to create a rules-based approach when we deal with more trade opportunities with China. And we want to create more opportunities for Canadian businesses because when they do go to China, the opportunities to scale and grow are enormous. That benefits not only the Chinese market, but Canadian companies here as well because their operations are set up in Canada as well. And that creates local jobs as well. So that's the objective, is how do we create a framework a rules-based approach to deal with some of these issues. Can I ask what you mean by rules-based and how that would, for example, address uh, the, the case of the gentleman who's been detained for 20 months? So the idea behind trade is to make it very clear. Uh, we want trade opportunities to exist both ways. We want to eliminate barriers. We want to make sure there's proper regulations in place. We want to make sure there's proper protection for intellectual property. We want to make sure that we have conditions for businesses to be able to go there and succeed without these impediments like non tariff barriers, for example. These are issues that Canadian businesses have raised for us. I'm the voice for Canadian business. I want them to succeed internationally. So clearly these are some of the areas that we'll be discussing. Do you think it's possible to create, realistically, to create a framework that will prevent uh, you know, things like that from happening? Do you, you know, do, you, do you think your government can do enough to assure Canadian business owners? But what's the other option? If we don't engage, then it's a huge missed opportunity. So we feel engagement is absolutely critical. There's a lot of goodwill. It's about building relationships. It's about working with senior government officials. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau spent a fair amount of time in his first initial trip in China building those relationships. We want to continue on with that momentum and we think engagement is the best way forward to deal with some of these outstanding issues. How much of the timing when you say, you know, what is the alternative, how much of the uh, timing has to do with what's going on with the U.S. and specifically around NAFTA? Does that sort of up the ante when it comes to China? Well, clearly the NAFTA discussions are a key focal point for many Canadians, including our government. It is our top priority. It's our number one market. We're the United States' number one customer as well. But we've been very clear from day one, we're open to investment, people and trade. Uh, we actually concluded uh, the free trade agreement with Europe. Uh, we're pursuing discussions at the TPP level with some of our uh, Asia-Pacific partners. So we've talked about diversification and trade opportunities from day one. Clearly the discussions with the U.S. demonstrate that we need to continue to diversify. This is not only good politics, but it's also good for Canadian companies as well as they explore other opportunities to expand because it's all about maintaining the growth that we have. We have growth right now in our economy at 3%, 3.1%, the fastest growth rate amongst the G7 countries. In order to maintain that level of growth, we need to create more market access opportunities for our Canadian businesses, and China presents that. Because if you look at the free trade agreement we have with Mexico and the U.S. and Europe, that represents approximately 1.2 billion consumers. That's the same amount of number for China as well, roughly. So imagine having access to 2.4 billion consumers. That's good for Canadian businesses and Canadian jobs. Finally, any hesitancy on the part of your government in pursuing those talks in a formal capacity for fear of angering the U.S. in the middle of everything that's going on with NAFTA? I think we're going to be very clear. We're going to pursue our national interests. We're going to do what's best for Canadian businesses and Canadian workers. Uh, so that's what we said from day one. We recognize that we're engaged with the U.S., but they also understand that we want to diversify our economy and we want to create more opportunities for Canadian businesses. So you've had no indications from the Americans that they're wary of all, at all of us pursuing free trade with China. We don't take our policy cues uh, from other jurisdictions. We want to make sure we advance our national interest, and it's in our interest to make sure we're engaged with the second largest economy today 
and the number one economy in the next 10, 15 years to make sure Canada is well positioned for opportunities for our businesses to grow and expand and have access to that market. And that creates Canadian jobs here in Canada as well, which is very important to us. Okay, thanks. Thank thanks you. for your time, Minister. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. So if he can't answer the simple question of when he sold his 680,000 Morneau Ch Chappelle shares, why doesn't he just do the right thing and resign? If the member opposite has something that he wants to say, if he has an allegation that he would like to make, I would ask him to grow some spine, stand up right here in this house, and say it in this house. Say what he means. That was one of many heated exchanges in the House of Commons last week surrounding Finance Minister Bill Morneau's personal finances. The opposition is calling for his resignation, and Morneau is fighting back, calling the opposition slanderous. Joining me now to discuss the politics up on the Hill are three MPs, Liberal Marco Mendicino, Conservative Shannon Stubbs, and New Democrat Kennedy Stewart. Thank you all for being here. Thanks I appreciate it. I want to start off discussing the merits of the accusations leveled at Mr. Morneau, and I think we should clarify them first. Essentially, the opposition is saying that he and his father sold off an enormous amount of shares prior to an announcement about tax changes that would have deflated the value of those shares. So I, under, I understand what he's saying, that, that that move was telegraphed during the election and that the two don't aren't necessarily correlated. But they do aren't. you admit, Marco, that you know, it just doesn't look good, and that perception is often important. Well, there's no doubt that perception is driven by the, the Conservatives, as has been done. But they woke up to a really bad day. There's a flood of headlines this morning who have concluded on the merits, which was your question, that there is zero actual evidence of any of the ludicrous allegations which have been made. And that's precisely because of uh, the, re the reasons that you stated in your question. So why does this matter? Because Canadians are going to judge the Conservatives and the opposition on how they spend the very, the most uh, precious commodity that we have on the Hill, how they use their time in question period. And they've come up with nothing. They've come up with baseless fal false allegations. They've implicated the finance minister's father. They've implicated his family, wrongfully, I might add. They don't dare repeat any of the allegations outside of the House. And that uh, discloses that they're, they're not serious about this. This is just bad, raw politics. Let me ask you, Shannon, what do you say about that? Is, is this an allegation that you're willing to make outside of the House? In fact, we've asked questions, which is what we've done in the House of Commons, asked repeated questions about when Minister Morneau sold his shares. For days he maintained he didn't know when that was, uh, yet he has also said he gave direction to someone to sell those shares, then he said he gave direction to his financial <coughs> advisor, he said he sold some immediately after being elected. We know in fact that there have been three major sales of uh, enormous numbers of shares, which did happen before the tabling of that motion that then increase taxes and drop the value of the shares. So whoever sold the shares in advance of the tabling of that motion, about which the details were confidential until the tabling, uh, avoided the higher tax rate and the sale was made at maximum value. So all we have asked is for the minister to just explain when he sold his shares. We also know, as uh, you know, up until a month ago, he continued to hold a million shares in Morneau Chappelle. So we are asking these questions because the finance minister is the second most powerful lawmaker in Canada. He makes decisions which impact the market, which impact the Canadian economy, the country's entire budget, and the everyday lives of all Canadians. So these are very serious, simple questions that reporters and journalists are asking, that elected members of parliament are asking, and that Canadians deserve to have answers. Kennedy, do we know that for sure when those tax changes were 
were were announced that the market uh, went down because of that specifically? Well, nobody can predict the market really, but there is, a, I mean, we just back up a little bit, is that uh, this finance minister is in real trouble. I think Canadians that at home who are watching this and following this day after day, they probably have something in the pit of their stomach or their smell test is going off and saying something's wrong here. It may not be exactly what the opposition is saying, um, but it's definitely, it's definitely an appearance of conflict. There, there is an appearance of conflict, and that's undoubtable. In fact, if this had happened in British Columbia under our very tough provincial laws, he would already be charged more or less with, yeah. with uh, apparent conflict of interest. We just have really weak laws here in the federal parliament, and uh, so he's already been fined once by the uh, ethics commissioner, so we know there's a problem there, and I think this is what happens in the House, and this is what democracy is. It's asking tough questions of the government, and that's what's happening here. The opposition, I think, uh, based on what we saw in QP this week, they were asking those questions. They weren't getting a lot of direct answers. Do you admit that? No, of course not. He's been very forthright. And I wish I could agree with, with my uh, my colleague Shannon about how uh, how this is just about asking questions. It's not. Vashi, you heard the leader of the opposition stand up and call for the resignation of the finance minister in the absence of any credible evidence. There is nothing. And I think that that speaks volumes about the kind of politics that the Conservatives continue to play. They don't seem to understand that Canadians expect more from them. Of course, hold the, uh, the government to account. But don't say that this is just about asking questions which have, been which have been asked and answered. This is about calling for resignation in the absence of any evidence whatsoever. It's been nothing but falsehood, insinuation, and just hoping that mud will stick. Yes. And that it's is the problem. Isn't that, isn't that the real trouble <laughs> yeah. with the Conservatives? Is that instead of debating the big ideas, including a red-hot economy, national security, we've got issues with North Korea, instead of spending the precious time that we have in the House debating those things, we're talking about mudslinging. We're talking about but calling into, into doubt point, not only the finance minister as the family. I think levied already against the finance minister, yeah. so there is there And there's is been an accounting that for that. Be, but but, but to now call but, for a resignation without any credible evidence, not a shred. And I don't think they believe it. They don't believe it because if they truly believed that there was a shred of proof around any of these allegations, they would say it outside of the House. But, but I, just, I just did that, in my, as you know. In my not first, the allegation, in my, Shannon. In my first response, no, actually, everything that I just stated is exactly what we've in, in the House of Commons and exactly what we've asked. But you've pointed on what the biggest issue is. It's that the finance minister has already been fined by the ethics commissioner for not disclosing an offshore corporation which owned a French villa. He is now under an investigation by the ethics commissioner for his involvement in introduction of a piece of legislation that will verifiably um, benefit Morneau Chappelle because it is uniquely positioned to be able to provide these very specialized, very specific kind of target pension plans that the minister himself previously had called for as executive should, chairman. Should now you he wait says, for the outcome of that before he, you call well, for his resignation? Well, he, he says, work, he, says he was working with the ethics commissioner the entire time and now she's investigating him for his involvement. So she sees merit in, in figuring out what is and going he's followed, on there. He's followed the advice since day one. He will continue to cooperate with the Ethics Commissioner. I think, though, there he's is a, there is a sense among the public that perhaps that, I mean, if he had a blind trust from the beginning, if he had gone that extra step, he would have cover yeah. for all this. Driven yes, by false allegations it, and insinuations, and it's not good enough for the politics. It's not becoming uh, of the, of our democracy. I don't understand what you're saying is false, though, Marco, because yesterday afternoon, the Finance Minister did say he sold a number of shares. And we don't 
dispute that. Immediately You're right. He's admitted. Elected, he's he's, he's but, also but to said say he that there's a link between that to sell, to and some kind shares. of advantage which he gained, which you know is false, Shannon. So you know it is Can I just take us back to the last parliament? And this feels a lot like the last parliament when we had Stephen Harper day after day up defending Mike Duffy and then eventually Nigel Wright. We had spokespeople, parliamentary secretaries standing up, giving talking points, saying nothing was true, nothing was true, nothing was true, and we kind of know how that went. And and sitting in the House of Commons during that period and sitting in the House of Commons now, I was saying to my benchmate that this starting to kind of feel like that is when you can't answer simple questions about dates. Right, you've already been charged once, or you've already been fined once by the ethics commissioner. There is something going on here, and I think Canadians really want to know what that is. And Do I'm you think not, he should resign before no, we have those answers? No, I'm not going to go that far because I don't think I think we have to be very careful with this. However, uh, you know, and, and that's maybe that's the duty of the official opposition, but I don't think uh, kind of as more reasoned look at this thing is that we have to see what all the facts are. And it'd be really nice if the finance minister made that easy for us. But he is in apparent conflict right now. I would say, I would say this is what Canadians are saying. Yet yeah, there is a problem here. Maybe it's not something you go to jail for, but there's something, something else that we have to know. Why would he and his father have sold that number of shares? And I know my colleague David Aiken looked back throughout his father's other sales of shares, and none were as substantial as the ones that happened within the same time frame as his son. Why would they have done it? At they sold time. shares. They kept shares. Many Canadians sold shares on that same day within that same time, time frame. It's a, it's a huge stretch, and there's no credible evidence whatsoever to suggest that there's any wrongdoing. That's the point, is that they're just hoping that some of this is going to stick. And that's the problem. And, you know, they're in the app. There's no facts. There's no case. And there's no credibility on the part of the fine. Conservatives. No, he's yes, already been fine. So some of it has well, stuck. I'm sorry, but that's not what you we're talking about here. We're not, yeah, we're not talking about I that. Have to, I'm we're sorry. Talking I, have to, I have you interrupted. I have to think that's yeah. threatening to so, sue people for asking I apologize. We'll see what sticks. We'll see what sticks next week. Thanks very much for all being here. I appreciate it. A missile was launched. A little while ago from North Korea, I will only tell you that we will take care of it. We have General Mattis in the room with us, and uh, we've had a long discussion on it. It is a situation that we will handle. That was President Donald Trump last week responding to the latest North Korea missile launch test. As tensions continue to escalate, the Canadian government has announced it will host an international summit in the new year to try and find a diplomatic solution. But the feds have been less clear on how Canada is preparing for the alternative. And joining me now is Matt DeCourcy, Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Foreign Affairs. Oh, thanks for having me, Vashi. I want to start off by asking you, not long ago, someone from your government said that North Korea considered Canada, quote, a friend. Given the recent actions from that country, are you really sure that that is still the case? Um, our minister, uh, Minister Freeland, has been quite clear uh, that we take great concern with and condemn the provocative actions of North Korea, their continual testing of, uh, of missiles. And um, it's our view that we as a country can play a leadership role with other countries, uh, the U.S., uh, South Korea, Japan, China, to help find a diplomatic solution to those provocative actions that um, create an urgent uh, global threat. And, um, and that's what uh, our minister is focused on doing. Um, she has been speaking with her counterparts uh, in those countries, and uh, we will work hard to ensure that we can find that diplomatic solution. And it starts with, with dialogue and engagement with, um, with those other countries around the world. I'll get to the diplomatic solution in a second, but just to be clear, are we really a friend? Is that how you would characterize the relationship between Canada and North Korea now? 
Um, look, we've been quite clear that uh, we have great concern and that we condemn uh, the continued provocative actions of North Korea. Um, our foreign minister has been quite clear about that. Our government has as well. And we know uh, that re-engaging in the global community means uh, dealing in a diplomatic fashion with the threat uh, posed by the actions of North Korea. Okay, so what does a diplomatic solution look like? And is that even possible given the rhetoric from President Trump and his North Korean counterpart? Um, well, look, our minister has engaged in a really constructive and collaborative way with her counterpart uh, in the United States. Uh, she's spoken to her counterparts in Japan, uh, South Korea, China, even most recently on her uh, Asian trip uh, just a number of weeks ago and, uh, and and that's why we're looking forward to convene a meeting of foreign ministers to explore all options that can help reduce tensions, reduce some of the heated rhetoric and help find uh, a diplomatic solution. It could mean all kinds of different things but it starts with engaging in a dialogue with our counterparts and our foreign minister has been focused on doing that. What is the threat specifically to Canada? And I ask because on the one hand we have the North Koreans saying they consider us a friend and on the other hand we see that your government is preparing bunkers, there are military, military training exercises, I'm sorry. Which is it and what is the threat to Canada? Uh, I think Canadians recognize that we're a Pacific nation uh, and as such we have an important role to play in addressing the situation and the threats posed by North Korea. We're going to explore all options uh, to ensure that we deal with the urgent threat posed by the actions of the uh, North Korean regime. Is one of those options considering rejoining ballistic missile defense? Uh, look, we have a long and um, deep tie with the United States when it comes to our collective defense and security. And we have great relations between our defense minister and secretary um, of defense Mattis uh, in the U.S. Um, Canadians expect us to continue with those collaborative uh, relationships. They've been positive um, and to ensure that we look out for the safety and security of Canadians. Uh, by having our foreign minister so deeply engaged on this issue and working closely with her counterpart um, to convene a meeting of foreign ministers, uh, we will be able to explore all options uh, and our hope reduce tensions and drive towards that diplomatic solution that we know we need to find uh, to help overcome the threat posed by North Korea. You didn't mention ballistic missile defense. Does that mean it is one of those options on the table? Uh, well, look, we're, the, the meeting of foreign ministers is about finding a diplomatic solution. Certainly, uh, we have conversations all the time with our counterparts around the world on a whole range of issues. Uh, but we think that the diplomatic solution to this threat is essential. We also think it's possible, and we think it's possible because we have had success vis-a-vis uh, -vis the North Korean regime with the release of Pastor Lim uh, in recent months. Um, the minister had uh, a conversation on the sidelines of the ASEAN summit in August with the North Korean uh, foreign uh, minister and so we we believe firmly that a diplomatic solution is possible if we get countries together uh, speaking and exploring all options and we open up lines of dialogue. Okay, thanks so much for your time, Mr. DeCourcy. Thanks so much, Vashi. I'm Vashi Capellos. Thank you for listening to the West Block podcast. For more, go to our website, thewestblock.ca. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and tune in again next week for another West Block podcast.